I had a man say to me this past week these words. He said, it must be hard to be Mark Testerman. I said, no, friend, it's the easiest thing in the world for me. I said, now, if you try to be me, you're going to live a hard life. And if I try to be you, I'm going to live a difficult life. But for me, it's easy to be me. And as I began to think about that, I thought, man, there's an awful lot of people, even in the body of Christ, because they have an identity struggle, an identity crisis, they have a hard time just being themselves. I lived a lot of my life trying to be like somebody else. And I said to that man, I said, sir, do you know what? I said, that is a recipe for a hard life. You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because you're always working. You're always performing. You're always acting. You're always wearing a mask trying to be like somebody else. The lion's share portion of my Christian life was spent trying to reach or rise above the bar that religion sets. Let me tell you something. No pole vaulter has ever scaled that bar because it just keeps moving. The better you do, the bar keeps going up and up and up and up. And I thank God for grace, don't you? I thank God for grace. I said to the man that made that statement, it must be hard to be Mark Testerman, I told him that in allowing myself to be me, that I had discovered that I look and sound more like my papa, more like my daddy God, than I ever would have trying to be like somebody else. Being myself took the pressure off so that I could take a real rest. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed when people are caught in the moment, they're caught in the crosshairs, if you will, of an intense situation that they almost always say something really awkward, something almost stupid and almost dumb, you know, because they're trying so hard to say something so smart. They say something so ridiculous. Here's a classic example of what I'm talking about. I had a set of twins born to me in December of 1994. Taylor Jacob and Tanner Jordan, they took their place at home with Tyler James, my three sons. Taylor was born with issues. He was born with heart problems, and he underwent two open heart surgeries by the time he was seven months old. And when he was 10 months old, he passed away unexpectedly. And at the visitation the night before his funeral, scores of people came and they passed by my little man's still body, and they paid their respect with tears. And as they walk their way toward us, do you ever notice that that is probably one of the most awkward places you'll ever find yourself in? Do you know what I mean? I think you've been there. You know what I'm saying? I've learned how to rest in those situations. I really have. For years, when I would get in that line, I would think, what am I going to say? And then I would rehearse what I was going to say. And then I would hear the people in front of me say the same thing I was going to say. And I'm like, oh, now that I can't say the same thing. And a woman and her husband stepped in front of me, and she said, we're sorry about your little boy, but she said, look on the bright side, you still have one twin left. Now, funeral homes are pretty quiet to begin with, but it grew very, very quiet in there. Why would she say something like that? Because she was under the pressure of that moment, and she thought she would put her mask on, that religious mask that 
looks for the silver lining in every cloud except the cloud of their own. Oh, they know how to look for the silver lining in your cloud, but when they're facing the same issue, they don't know how to look for it then. The same advice, the same scriptures they told you to go to, they don't know how to go to those because they just had a mask on. That's it. She hadn't learned the art and the heart of resting in quietness and trust. We just sang about it. Find rest, my soul. Where? In Christ alone. Know his power in quietness and trust. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood, and I will be still and know you are God. Valerie and I walked into a funeral home about three years ago to pay our respects to a friend of mine that passed, a very good friend. And when I walked in there, there by the podium where you would sign the guest book, sat a man, a man I had never met, but he looked enough like my friend. I knew it had to be his brother. I had never met him. He was a stranger to me, but he looked just like my friend. And so I walked up to him after I'd signed the book and I looked at him and he stood up and went to shake my hand and I grabbed him and I hugged him. And we waltzed our way out into the middle of the floor. And it wasn't long and he said these words. He says, you're him, aren't you? And I said absolutely nothing. And he dug his hands in deeper into my back and he says, you're him, aren't you? And I was resting in quietness and trust. I said nothing. And he is shaken under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's weeping. He's trembling. I'm practically holding the man up. And after I held him for 10 minutes and let him go, with the tears coming down his face, he said, you're him, aren't you? I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I said, yeah. I said, he lives inside of me. What is my point? My point is simply this. I was just being me when I walked in that funeral. I wasn't trying to be anybody but me. Now see, most people wouldn't do that, but that's who I am. Don't try to be me. You just be you. Okay? You just be you. I heard the Holy Spirit say, give him a hug. Sometimes it's just that quietness. Valerie's been talking about ministering and listening to the word of the Lord. You've got to rest in here if you're going to really hear his voice. You don't want all these other competing voices. You don't want that other voice of you trying to be like somebody else. You've already got your partner if that's the case. You want Jesus. You want the Holy Spirit. You want the Father to be communicating with you. Now, I share these stories because at the end of the service this morning, we are going to be setting several people forth as licensed ministers under the banner of Triumphant Grace Ministries. Now, let me tell you what the minister's license is and what it is not for, okay? First of all, the minister's license is not designed to make life harder for you by compelling you to live up to some sort of standard, okay? Grace needs no helpers. Grace doesn't need a helper. Grace is sufficient. The minister's license is not there to put a mask over your face or a title in front of your name. 
You must let the real you come through at all times. And it's not in place to give you a podium to say dumb stuff. It's not there for that reason. It's merely a credential that in many cases will open doors for you. It will open up opportunities for you to minister the gospel of righteousness and the gospel of grace that lives might be transformed. Now, with those thoughts in mind, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling, Rise and Anoint. Now, before Jesus rose from the dead, the anointing came and went. It lighted and it lifted, but the resurrection of Jesus from the dead changed everything. And through the balance of the message, I want you to see a couple of things. I want you to see, first of all, the importance of knowing that the anointing of God resides on the inside of us and that the anointing does not come and go. The anointing abides forever. The anointing of God does not come from the signature on the certificate. The anointing of God came from a son on a cross. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. The epithet Christ comes from the Greek word harestas. It means the anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ, we are saying Jesus, the anointed one. It's an adjective that describes something. It makes it more clear. Jesus Christ the anointed one. So my question is this, does Christ, the anointed one, live in you? He does. If your answer is yes, then hear me carefully, you are anointed by God. You are anointed by God. Now let's explore the depth of what I just said, okay? Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Oh, oh, there's so many wonderful things in that one verse right there. It says, but if Christ, that's harestas, that is the anointed one, if Christ the anointed one is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin and not because of your sin, but because of Adam's sin, okay? That's why your body is subject to death. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That's a 13-letter word. It's a big word. It means justification, another 13-letter word. So let's make this simple for you, okay? Righteousness and justification come from the word justified, which literally means declared innocent. Now, friends, I want to tell you something. Yes, I've always said there was absolutely a trial. Man was on trial. Man was guilty. No question about it. But Jesus said, Daddy, I will pay for their sin. And the Father said, because of that son, I will justify them. I will declare them righteous. I will transfuse them with your righteousness. It's called the great exchange. It's powerful thought, isn't it? Declared innocent apart from feelings and emotions. That is so important for you to understand that you are declared righteous apart from the way you feel. I don't feel like I have O positive blood, but believe me, I do. I really don't feel that. 
If I had to go to the doctors and he ran a battery of tests, now imagine I went and sat down with the doctor and he's going through my whole chart. And he said to me, well, let's see, you have A positive blood. I'd say, stop. You're wrong. Check it again. Check it again. And I've come by today to tell you when your feelings and your emotions try to tell you that you're not in Christ, when your feelings and your emotions try to tell you you're not a son, when your feelings or your emotions try to condemn you, you say, excuse me, you better check the record again. You need to learn how to talk back to that kind of stuff. I talk back to that stuff all the time. No, I am in Christ. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Oh, you should hear me sometimes. We get going, man. I'm telling you, we got a little cadence we get going on and stuff like that. And it's not just a little pep talk to build me up. No, 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 no. It's when my feelings and my emotions try to start talking to me and I say, listen, you better go back and check your records because I've already checked with Jesus. I've already checked with the Holy Spirit and this is what he's told me. He's told me that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I have been justified. I have been declared innocent. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ, He who raised Harastas, He who raised the Anointed One, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Now let me tell you something. You cannot have Christ living in you. He's the anointed one, right? You cannot have Christ living in you and not be anointed any more than you can go to work in the coal mines and not get dirty. I mean, that's just a ridiculous thought. You can't have Christ, the Son of God, living on the inside of you, the anointed one living on the inside of you, and say, I'm not going to share my anointing with you. Why would he need to live inside of you? When you get Jesus, you get him all. You get all his richness. You get all of his attributes. You get all of his grace. You get all of his love. He held nothing back. He gave it to us in fullness. Fullness of Christ we talk about. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, we find these words. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Well, that's King James. That's a tough one, man. It's a tongue twister. Let me see if I can make some sense out of this thing here. We've already established he's called the anointed one. We've already established he lives on the inside of us. We've already made a point that he shares his anointing with us. He doesn't just give us a little at a time. We get him in fullness, right? And it says... But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth. I love this word abideth because here's what it means. It means to stay in the place that it was put permanently. That's what abideth means. To stay in a given place permanently. See, we live in a world where things change so much. We get this mentality that things are changing one day it's sunny, one day it's cloudy. One day there's no snow, one day there's a snowstorm. A cat goes up a tree, but a cat always comes down. A bird flies into his nest, but he always flies out. See, we live in a world that's constantly moving and changing, but I'm telling you, Christ is steadfast. 
He lives in us. He's not going anywhere. He stays in a given place permanently. What does? The anointing. Who has the anointing? Who brings the anointing? That's Christ. And he dwells in a place permanently. The word abideth is in what they call the affirmative positive, which means it's not conditional and it is not subject to change. So his dwelling inside of you cannot change. His anointing inside of you cannot change. It's there forever. And when it says, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, it literally, when it says the same anointing, it's talking about his anointing. It could easily just say, and his anointing teacheth you of all things and is true. Now, those who are true Christians are anointed by God. They may fall from time to time, but they cannot fall away. Really important for us to know that. They may fall, they may stumble, but they will not fall away. Why? Because the anointing stays in a given place permanently. On occasions, we may go to the coal mine of sin, but we don't get dirty in our spirit man. It's just the outward man that gets dirty. That's what Jesus was getting at when he washed feet. He said, listen, the outward man is going to get dirty. He's going to go to the coal mine once in a while. So wash your feet once in a while. But he said, a man that's had a complete bath never needs to be washed again. What was he talking? He was driving his audience, his disciples, to the spirit man. He's saying, listen, when that man gets a bath, he never needs another bath. It's true. Our wedding dress which is the robe of righteousness, is just as clean and just as pristine and just as without wrinkles and spot as it was the day we stood in front of Jesus and said, yes, yes, Lord. It's just as clean. It's never been soiled. Oh, I love that. In James chapter 3, verse 2, we find these words. We all stumble in many ways. Now, see, we don't like to talk about this, but, you know, some of you may have stumbled on the way to church. The Bible says we all stumble in many ways. Listen, the Scripture's there. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. Now, it's interesting that he said in what they say. He didn't say in terms of what they do. You see, the heart drives everything. It drives your words. It drives your thoughts. It drives your actions. And that's why he says, listen, he that is perfect in his words basically will never stumble. I want to tell you something. The quickest way to find out what's in a man's heart is just listen to him. You see, because you can be around a guy all day long and not see him steal anything, not see him commit adultery, not see him do all the other Ten Commandments and stuff like that. All you got to do is listen to the heart, though, and say, I'll tell you what, it'll be a dead giveaway. Because what you meditate on is what you're going to talk about. What you think about is what you're going to speak. Out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault with what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. There are going to be times as a minister that we say, think, and do dumb stuff, right? Days when our A-positive blood went to F-minus. It happens. It happens to us too. James said we all stumble in many ways. Now let me ask you the question. What happens to the anointing when a man stumbles? I'll tell you, it stays in a given place permanently. Our righteousness, our anointing is not based upon our performance. Now, it goes well for you. We want you to perform well because, listen, you'll bring heartache upon yourself. You'll bring heartache upon your family. 
We're driving home this point so that we can rest in quietness and trust. And it begins on the inside. And it begins with the revelation that I've been declared innocent. I'm righteous in his eyes. I've been justified by faith through grace. It stays in a given place permanently. The anointing is not conditional. If the Holy Spirit left us when we stumbled, then trust me, the anointing would go with him. He is not going to leave you and leave the anointing. You see, because when he comes, he brings the anointing. He is the anointing. So if he leaves, the anointing goes with it. And there's going to be times you don't feel like you're anointed. I can't tell you how many times I've had occasions where I've had to get up and speak spiritually in front of people and stuff like that. And I just went and sat back down and said, man, I didn't feel a bit anointed on that one. You ever had that happen to you, Pastor Steve? You ever have that happen to you? You just go, man, I didn't feel the least bit anointed on that right there. But then have somebody maybe a week later call you up and say, man, I just want you to know that word you spoke into our hearts last week, that really ministered to me. You cannot let your feelings and your emotions drive you, I'm telling you, you've got to tell them to check the records. I am anointed by God. Every time I open my mouth, anointing comes out. The word comes out. And the Bible says the word will not return void. It will accomplish that which the Holy Spirit, that which Daddy sent it out to do. It will accomplish that assignment. You just give it time. You just walk away from it in quietness and trust and just say, Daddy, that's up to you. That's what we've got to do. We're trying to use metrics to measure what, you know, did anybody clap for me? Did anybody say amen for me? Listen, I'm not into that kind of stuff. You don't clap, it doesn't phase me a bit. You don't say amen, it doesn't phase me a bit. In fact, I have less to edit, to be honest with you. I'm just serious, man. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Just came out, see, out of your mouth. I'm telling you, I told you, out of your mouth. You see the stuff I think about at home? All right, somebody was clapping, the dog was barking. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 through 31. I want you to see this in the message translation. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I want to tell you something. I'm knocking the door on 60 years of age and I move around like I'm a little teenager. It's not just the stuff I eat or I don't eat. It's the energy of the Holy Spirit working in me, the reality of the Holy Spirit working in me, the goodness of the Lord working in me that energizes me. You saw it in these scriptures right there. Do you hear that? Those who hope in the Lord. Listen, my hope is not in anything else other than Him. It's not in Gov we trust, it's in God we trust. My hope is in the Lord. And what happens when we put our hope in the Lord? It says, it will renew our strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Friends, I want to tell you something. We have a promise through those scriptures right there that God increases the power of the weak. Now let me show you the New Covenant version of that scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, in other words, where weakness, where you went weak, and we always say that, oh, where'd you go weak at? But where sin increased, where weakness increased, 
grace increased or the power of God increased all the more. It's a great, great truth. It's a liberating truth, isn't it? Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Why? So you could stay on the wings of eagles, man, and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. Friends, I want to tell you something. The body of Christ, if they would awaken to this breathtaking truth, then they would run and not grow weary. They would walk and they would not faint. They would pole vault and not fall short. They would know how to respond to questions like, is it hard to be Mark Testerman? They know how to respond to questions like, are you him? They know how to respond to, is your wedding dress clean? Why? Because harastas and his anointing abides in me. He gives me strength when I'm wearied and increases the flow of power when I'm weak so that my strength is renewed like that of the eagle. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For though a righteous man falls seven times, look at those words, he will rise again. Seven is the perfect number, which means it's a perpetual number. See, we don't think about that like that in our English vernacular, but I'm telling you behind this in the Hebrew, that seven is a perfect continuous number. So that means when a man falls, he will rise again if he belongs to Christ. Why? Because the anointing abides on the inside of him in a place permanently. He was given, he abides permanently in our spirit man. I've seen a lot of eagles in my life and they come down to the ground to get stuff, but they don't live on the ground. And I'm telling you something, when you fall, when you fail, when you blow it in your mind, thought, word, deed, whatever it may be, you have to understand that this strength comes, this grace comes, this increase comes to put you back on the eagle's wings so that you soar above the storm of failure, the storm of disappointment, whatever it may be. John Gill says it like this. He says, grace is an internal thing. It is oil in the vessel of the heart, and where it once is, it abides. As does every grace of the Spirit, as faith, hope, love, and every other. Grace can never be taken away. God will not take it away where he has once bestowed it, and men and devils cannot. It can never be lost as to the principle and being of it. It is an incorruptible seed and a living principle which can never be destroyed, notwithstanding all the corruption in a man's heart, the pollutions of the world, and the temptations of Satan. Do you see the list, what he's saying? It's an incorruptible seed. It can't go anywhere. First John chapter 2, verse 27 again. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth. And is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. I've been sharing with you so far throughout this message the presence of Christ, the permanency of the anointing, and the power of grace. Have I touched on those things? Absolutely. The presence of Christ, the permanency of the anointing, and the power of grace. Now, let's just see if there's any connection between those three in the Word of God. This is the journey that the Holy Spirit took me on. This is not the way I planned on going for this message. So we took a little bit of a right turn here on this one. First of all, we have Christ. Hares stas. Christ. Now look at the word anointing. Haresma. 
Anointing is hares ma. Now look at grace. Hares. Friends, I couldn't have made this up in a million years. Now I want you to take a look at them all together here. You have the anointing, you have Christ, and you have grace. Look at that. Haresma, harestas, hares. Can you see in these three Greek words that they're rooted in the same family? Friends, let me tell you something. The anointing of God is grace. The anointing of God comes by grace and supplied by grace. It's all about grace. They all have that same root Greek word. Amazing. My point is this. When Christ, Harestas, came to live on the inside of us, he brought with him the anointing, Haresma, of grace, Hares. This anointing is a finished work, which means he abides permanently on the inside of us. His grace is unconditional. We do not have a good blood day and then we have a bad blood day, right? We have Jesus' blood. And as ministers of the gospel, this must be our message so that we can take the grave clothes off of God's resurrected people. This is the only thing that will get it off of them is for them to see that I don't have to perform, that I can be me. Not only do I not have to perform in front of you, I don't have to perform in front of my daddy. I was listening to a message by John Sheesby, the man I'm about to go see here at the end of this coming week. He's one of the pioneers of this finished work message. He has been at this for almost 40 years. And many years ago, he went back to South Africa to visit. When he went to visit, he went back and he stayed right near the little church that he grew up in. His daddy was one of the pastors. His daddy pastored there from 1957 to 1961. And many, many, many pastors came and went over the years. And like always in your own church, you take pictures of your pastors and you line the hallway with your picture of your pastor. And over the years, those pastors came and went. And John said, you know, I just thought one day I'll, I'll clean out this little storage room for the church. And he said, I grabbed a box and I pulled the cover off the box. And there was a stack of photos of the former pastors that had pastored there. And he said... Right up on top was my daddy's photo. He said, the glass was broken, the frame was broken, the matting was all discolored, and he said, I said in the quietness of my heart, I want to restore daddy's picture. And he said he instantly heard the Holy Spirit say, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I want to restore the picture of daddy. You see, I want to tell you something. And this is not a hard luck story. I grew up with a father that got a shotgun off the wall one day and chased my mother out of the house when we were kids. You try to get that image out of your head one time. I had a daddy that ran off and would be gone for years. I had a daddy that would beat us unmercifully. I had a daddy that wouldn't go to work at times. I had a daddy that would take the Lord's name in vain over and over and over. I had a daddy that was an alcoholic. My daddy was strict. My daddy was mean. And he had his moments where he was good. But my daddy was angry a lot and he was fearful. And he kind of almost transferred some of that on us. And you know what? It didn't take a giant leap for me to think that's the way God is too. 
If my daddy's like that, man, it was God. And so I saw God that way. I saw him as mean and harsh and distant and angry with me and stuff like that. And so I didn't want to come to him for years and years and years and years. And I was almost 35 years old when the Holy Spirit came calling one night and said, this will be your last opportunity, by the way. And I'm so thankful he said it that way. Listen, I don't want to put any pressure on anybody. But that's the way he said it to me that night. He said, this will be the last opportunity you get to come to know Christ. You see, he's all-knowing. I don't know if I was scheduled to die next week in a car accident. I don't know if I would have just hardened my heart so bad. I don't know what would have happened. But when he said those words to me, I came flying up out of my bed. And I knelt there and I fell in love instantly with the Father. I had a love that was flowing oh, from my heart. I had a grace that was working on the inside of me. I had that peace that you were talking about, Steve. Nothing missing, nothing broken, at least going on in my spirit, man, where God's spirit came and he said, listen, I'm going to stay in this place permanently. I didn't know all that stuff at the time, but I sure liked what I was experiencing. And I've come by today to tell you that is the nature and that is the mission of this ministry is to restore the image of daddy because he's a good Good, good Father. I believe that Jesus poured out His heart to His Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's no question about that. We see that. What would that have sounded like exactly? He was there for a long time. We have very little recorded. We have very few sound bites of what Jesus said there. I think He spent more time trying to wake up the disciples and stuff than anything else. We see that recorded. But Jesus had to be doing some dialoguing with that Father. Perhaps it went something like this. Daddy, I want to give your children a grace that they cannot outsin. I want to give them a strength that superabounds when they fail. The only way for me to do that is by dying on a cross. And if I shed my blood on a cross, they will bury me in a tomb. But on the third day, I will rise and anoint with grace. I will come and live in their spirits and I will take up permanent residency. Isn't that awesome? Hebrews chapter 9 verses 24 through 28. We see the fulfillment of what I just said. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way high priests enter the most holy place every year. Look at that. With the blood that is not his own. I love that. I highlighted that in my notes. With the blood that is not his own. I'm telling you, you do not have your blood in you anymore. You have the blood of Christ flowing in you. You've had a transfusion. You were not bought with your blood. You were bought with his blood. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages, look at these words, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now ask yourself the question, just be honest, okay? He said he did away with sin. Whose sin did he do away with? The believer's sin. You don't have a sin problem, you got a thinking problem. It's just the way we think. The Bible says right there that he did away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus shed his blood to do away with our opinion of self. 
Jesus shed his blood to free us from the bar that religion had set for us. Jesus shed his blood so that we would not have to wear a religious mask. Jesus shed his blood so that the anointing of grace could take up permanent residency in our spirits. Jesus shed his blood so that the incorruptible seed could grow into a tree of life in our hearts. Jesus shed his blood so that we could rest in quietness and trust. Jesus shed his blood so that when a man falls seven times, he will rise again. And Jesus shed his blood so that we would not accept the misdiagnosis from our feelings and our emotions. And friends, one other thing, Jesus shed his blood so that the wedding garment would never again get soiled in the coal mine of sin. That's why he did it. To keep us pure and spotless and without sin. Just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Take them away, he took our sins away. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 20 in the Message Translation. I love how Eugene Peterson makes this so plain. Children, time is just about up. It's kind of like you're putting the kids to bed at night. Kids, time's just about up. Children, he says, time's just about up. You heard that Antichrist is coming. Well, they're all over the place. Listen, Antichrist is not one person. Anti means anybody that's against Christ. There are many Antichrists, the Bible says, in this world. You heard that Antichrist is coming. Well, they're all over the place. Antichrist everywhere you look. That's how we know we're close to the end. Now watch these words. They left us, but they were never really with us. In other words, Harestas, the anointed one, never lived on the inside of them. They were in your club, they were in your group, they were in your following, but the anointed one never lived on the inside of them. So you say, how do I know that? Because he abides in a given place permanently, which means there are no conditions that make him leave. He goes on to say, if they had been with us, they would have stuck it out with us, loyal to the end. In leaving, they showed their true colors, showed that they never did belong. Not they belong one time and fell away. No, they never did belong. But you belong. And then look at those words. Fix your eyes on the Holy One anointed you. Harastas, Christ, anointed you, and you all know it. You know it in your spirit. You know it in your heart. He changes the way you think. He changes everything about you. You know it. Amen. In the Old Testament, we find a man by the name of Samuel. Samuel's a pretty cool guy. He's a prophet, and he was commissioned by God to go to Bethlehem and anoint the next king of Israel. And through his narrative, we see a type and shadow of the substance that we possess today, the harestas, the haresma, the hares that we possess today. Samuel's daddy is Elkanah, and his mother is Hannah. They're pretty cool names, aren't they? Samuel has a very rich heritage. He has a father and a mother that trust and worship God. That is the family that Samuel has been born in. Look what Elkanah's name translates as. God has obtained. So every time someone said Elkanah, little Samuel heard them say, God has obtained. 
Look at Hannah's name. Hannah's name means grace. So every time little Samuel heard somebody say, well, hi, Elkanah, hi, Hannah, he heard them say, God has obtained grace. There is a synonym for obtained, and a synonym for obtained is found. And so when you take Samuel's parents' name, Elkanah and Hannah, it literally means God has found grace. And that is exactly how Samuel came to being. He was birthed by the grace of God. Nobody had to work for it. He was birthed by the grace of God. Samuel's name in the Hebrew is pronounced Shamuel. So we say Samuel, Shamuel. It comes from two Hebrew words, Shama and El. Shama means heard and El means God. Put together, it literally means heard of God. Does this sound a little familiar? Just go back and listen to Valerie's last three messages. Heard of God. You can't get nothing done unless you hear from God. You surely can't be a prophet. You've got to hear from Him. Now, if He could hear from Him and the Spirit would come and go, we have the Spirit that comes and lives, the Spirit that comes and abides. Surely we can hear from Him, but you hear best when you're resting. I'll give you an example of that. Valerie and I went out to eat with some friends a couple of weeks ago. And then toward the end of the conversation that night, they're trying to think of this one minister's name. They're all going like, it's right there, it's right there, it's right there. I bet they spent 15 minutes trying to figure out that guy's name. Nobody could figure it out. And the lady's like, I don't know, it's right there. They couldn't figure it out. We finally gave our hug and said goodbye. And Valerie and I were driving home. When we were just about to pull in the driveway, Valerie blurts out his name. I'm like, what? Well, that's the name of the guy we were trying to think of. You see, when she took her mind off of it, it manifested. When she quit thinking about it, I no more than stepped in the house and my phone rang. Now, it's, it's a few minutes on the right side of midnight. Who's calling me after midnight? It's the man. And when I answered the phone, I said, you found out his name, didn't you? He said, yeah, it just came to me. You see, when he quit thinking about it and they quit thinking about it, it manifested. That's the way it's supposed to be with daddy. You're just supposed to hear as you go about doing your daily, what you may think is mundane, routine business, Daddy is always speaking. The Holy Spirit is always speaking to us. We think sometimes it's our own thoughts, so we discount it. Well, we ought to just be a little more in tune. You see, the world might want to say, here's my hand. And, and Daddy said, no, give him a hug. Because Daddy's got a much bigger plan in mind. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13 the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Now remember, Saul is the king right now, but Saul has disobeyed God. And Samuel has been sent to anoint a new king. Now you say, man, that's scary, Mark. You know, God's stripping away the kingdom. Yes, he did. God's stripping away his kingship. Yeah, it would be many years later, but God eventually did that. Because all he did was just not kill a king and brought back a few animals and stuff like that. But God said, I want you to kill everybody. I want you to kill the kings. I want you to kill all the animals. He thought, well, I'm just going to bring the king back with me alive, and I'm just going to let my guys bring back a few animals. No, God said exactly how you were supposed to do it, king, and you didn't listen to him. So we can read scriptures like that. We can get under condemnation. We can get under judgment and go like, oh, see, he disobeyed God. Look what God did. He's under the old covenant. Harestas did live on the inside of him. Harisma would come and go. 
That is a dividing point. I'm telling you, when you understand the covenant and stuff like that, you'll quit accepting these lies that that's the way he treats us today. No, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? And then he says to him, fill your horn with oil. What kind of oil is he talking about? He's talking about the anointing oil. Now listen, I don't have a problem with anointing oil. I'll use it. I really will. What I'm telling you is the anointing comes from the inside. Just by taking oil and putting it on my fingers and putting it on your forehead ain't going to make any difference with that license, believe me. You're going to be licensed ministers either way. You're going to be just as powerful either way, whether I put oil on your forehead, whether I smear you full of it or not. Because when the Bible talks about harestas, harisma, living on the inside of us, that anointing, literally, when you look it up in the Greek, it means to smear. You know, it always used to bug me. People give their little babies a whole bunch of really food that they just, they have more on their face. Come on, we all went through that, even my own kids. And I just look at them and go, man, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to smear that all over you? Don't you realize you're sticky now? Don't you realize you're just a mess? You got it all in your hair, it's in your ears, in your nose. Why would you do that? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He smears us full of Jesus Christ wall to wall. There is not one square inch of you that doesn't have Holy Spirit abiding inside of you. And he came to live forever. So he tells Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. He said, I am sending you to Jesse. The name means gift of God. I want you to see through this narrative the type and shadow of Christ. Now just to start thinking this way because it is about Jesus hidden in the Old Testament. But you can see the typology right now as we begin to unpack this story. He said, I'm sending you to Jesse, or I'm sending you to the gift of God. He said, of Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? It means the house of bread. Let me ask you a question. Where was Jesus born at? He was born in the house of bread. Was Jesus a gift of God to all the world? Of course. Here's God sending Samuel to all people, the gift of God, in the house of bread. He is our living bread. He's the bread that came down from heaven, the Bible says. He said, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about me, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse. Invite the gift of God to the sacrifice. Invite the gift of God to the sacrifice. Invite the gift of God to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. They were standing there shaken because the Spirit of God was on Samuel. And they could sense it. They knew the prophet had showed up. They knew the man of God was there. I'm telling you, listen, people should know you're a man of God. They should know you're a woman of God without showing them that license. They should know that. They should be able to see it in your life. They should be able to hear it in your words. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. 
Then he consecrated Jesse, that is the gift of God, and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel took one look at a tall, dark, and handsome boy, and he said, surely, that's got to be the Lord's anointed one right there. It's got to be him. But Samuel's name means heard of God. Thank God you rescued him. He's got the wrong one. That's why it's so important. Our feelings and our emotions will tell us stuff because we measure it in the natural. We get so in tune to relying on feelings and emotions and eyesight and thoughts and preconceived things that we don't take time to say, I want to hear from God. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Listen, I know he's tall, dark, and handsome, Samuel, but don't consider that. For I have rejected him. Not like the guy was a bad guy, but he wasn't God's pick to be king. Okay, I have rejected him as the king. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. How did he know that? Heard of God. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? You know, there are times you're going to think that you missed God on something because it didn't seem to work out the way you thought it should have. You had a preconceived notion, a preconceived idea of exactly how it was going to work out, exactly the way it was going to run, and it didn't run your way. And you say, man, I must have missed God. No, not necessarily. But you can go back to the one that abides permanently on the inside of it, and you can say, kind of redirect my thoughts here. Is it for me to know right now? If it is... Let me hear you again. There's nothing wrong with that. I would imagine Samuel felt that way. What would you think? If he said, listen, I want to consecrate you and your sons, and he only brings seven sons, you'd think that's all the sons he's got, right? You wouldn't think he had a nascent hole somewhere, would you? No, you just wouldn't think that way. But he did. Absolutely, he did. And the man Samuel was hearing from God. So Jesse has to fess up. He said, well... <laughs> They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. And it's interesting that he puts a label on him. He's tending the sheep. Almost like to discount him because you, you really, that's not the guy you're looking for. He's off in the pasture. That's the Lord's heart. That to lay us down in green pastures and beside still waters. I'm sorry, man. I get excited when I think about this stuff because I see the heart of my father and I'm trying to restore the image of him that he's a good father. So he puts a label on him. And I'm telling you something, people are going to come along and put labels on you. I've already seen it happen in my life. You won't even know, I don't share it with you, some of the stuff that comes against us as ministers of grace, you don't even know. But I'm telling you what, the text can be very fierce at times out there. But you know what I do? I remind myself, I already got a report from the Lord. And the Bible says, whose report are you going to believe? I'm going to choose to believe the report of the Lord. Not your report. Who are you? 
They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Like that was going to discount him. He was a shepherd just like Jesus. Isn't that funny? Type and shadow. Who is that boy? Who is that shepherd boy? We know. We haven't even brought up his name yet, but we know that's David, don't we? Come on. We know that's David. David's tending the sheep. David is a type and shadow of Christ himself. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. Now look at the way David came walking in. He's a shepherd boy. The sun's been beating on him. The dust has been kicking up. The sheep, their wool probably sticking to his sweat. And the Bible says he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Now listen, that's in the word. So surely that's got to be the reason Samuel picked him. Look at that. It says he's glowing with health and a fine appearance and handsome features. Didn't you hear what God just said a minute ago? The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he looked at the heart of David too. Even though David was a good looking guy. GQ to the max, put him on GQ magazine, Gentleman's Quarterly. I mean, that's where David belonged. But God said, I'm not looking at that right there. Yes, he's all of those things, but I'm looking at the heart of that man. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then look what God said. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Friends, I want to tell you something. That narrative, again, perfectly dovetails into everything Valerie has been teaching over the last few weeks. Timeless truths about hearing from God. Samuel's name literally heard of God. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David's name translates as beloved. David is the eighth son of Jesse. Eight is the number for new beginnings. Friends, come on. You see all this? His name, though, I love it. It means beloved. I've said it before. I want to say it again. Sometimes I think the body of Christ needs to take that word and to put a hyphen between the B-E and the loved. And that is the message of the gospel. Be loved. It is the message that God has wanted to transcend from the very beginning of time into our hearts. Be love. It's the same word that God used at the Jordan River when John the Baptist took Jesus under and brought him up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and he heard the majestic voice of his father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the scriptures are these. Jesus wore a crown of thorn on his head so that we wouldn't have to wear a mask over our eyes. We can be who he has called us to be, full of Christ, harestas, full of the anointing, haresma, full of grace, hares. I'm talking about the anointing that does not come and go, but stays. 
stays in a given place permanently. The anointing that is not conditional. It is not based upon our performance. I'm talking about the anointing that does not come from the ink on a license, but it comes from the blood of the Lamb. I'm referring to the grace that gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I'm talking about the grace that where sin abounds, grace does so much more abound. I'm talking about the gift of God that was born in the house of bread, the one that the Father referred to as His beloved Son, Jesus, the gift whose Father said, I don't look at the things that man looks at. I look upon the heart. And I say to my Son, you're him, aren't you? And I say to my new creation, he's you, isn't he? Friends, before the foundation of the earth was laid, the Father had already calculated the cost of man. He knew that his son Jesus would have to suffer on a cross. He foreknew that his son's body would lay in a darkened tomb for three days. But then... At last, the moment came when the Father said to the Holy Spirit, the anointing will no longer come from the outside in. Let's roll away the stone and bring that which is inside out. Let's awaken Harestas, the anointed one. And then the whisper came from the Father, Arise! my love. Arise, my love. The grave no longer has a hold on you. No more death sting, no more suffering. Rise and anoint with grace in Jesus' name. Well, Father, I want to thank you. I have just fallen in love with you afresh as I preach that message in my heart, Daddy. I think the songwriter got it right when he said, I keep falling in love with you over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with you over and over and over and over again. It gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with you over and over and over and over again. And Daddy, that's because I've seen what the picture of you was always meant to look like. People had your picture stored away in a box somewhere with a broken frame and a broken glass and a matted frame to it. But Daddy, I, I want to thank you that you have awakened the gospel of grace in the hearts of ministers as they go out and they share the good news. You have awakened inside of us that there's a correlation between Jesus and his anointing and grace. And I want to thank you, Father, for the undeserved reality, the unmerited reality that he came to abide. He will never get up and leave. He came to live forever in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.